you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We'll be in verses 5 through 8. And as we turn to Romans chapter 8, um, I want to talk to you about a game. I like games. I hope you like games too. Um, if I become your pastor, you're invited anytime to come over to my house and play a game of Risk. Uh, or another game, but preferably Risk. Um, excellent. I have um, one volunteer already, so we need a couple more, um, and it, it'll take a while. But um, one of the games that me and my wife got um, for our wedding present was the game of life. And if you've ever played the game of life, um, there's a choice that you have to make at the very beginning of the game. You have to decide... Are you going to go down the college path or just start working right away? And uh, there's, there's supposed to be benefits and uh, drawbacks to each. So you get an extra paycheck if you go down the career path, uh, and you're not in debt. If you go down the college path, uh, you're in debt quite extensively right at the beginning, and you don't get that extra paycheck. And so that's kind of sad because it takes a couple of years to get through college. Um, and you're supposed to make more money if you take the um, college path, but you don't always make more money if you take the college path. If you notice, some of the college path degree fields, they don't pay that much. But you have to make a decision. There's one path or the other, and you're on one or the other. And there's a couple other times throughout the game that you come to places, and you have to make a decision. Um, are you going to go to night school? So you, maybe you chose to just go career, and you're just going to go to get a job, and you come to a point where you can go down the career path and, and go to night school. And you keep going down in the game of life. And you can either choose to go the family path or the non-family path. And then if you choose the non-family path, eventually you roll and or you spin the little thing. And however many your number is, that's how many kids you just automatically have. Then there's the retirement place where you, you, know, you can either go the risky route and maybe hit it really big. Or you can go the safe route, and your chances of you know, making as much money are not as big. And what Paul's doing with this passage is he's saying, as believers, there are two ways that we can live our life. We can either live our life very much like taking the college path or the career path. I don't care. I'm not going to say that you know, living according to the spirit is college and living according to the flesh is um, just going into a job. That's not the point. But we have a choice to make very much like you have to make a choice uh, when you're playing the game of life. And so Paul is saying, in your Christian life, you have a choice. Are you going to live according to the spirit or are you going to live according to the flesh? So Paul here is encouraging us to get on or to stay on the path that is according to the spirit. Let's read Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, and then we will dive in a little bit deeper. So if you would take your copy of God's word and turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life. And peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, 
nor indeed can he. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So Paul is specifically talking to believers here. He's talking to those who are in Christ in verses 1 through 4, and he tells them that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And he tells them, you're no longer under the law, you're under grace, or you're living according to the Spirit. And so he gets here, and he's going to explain to us, how then do we please God? That's a question that you and I should both want to pursue. We should both, all of us should want to go, how do I please God? How do I make God happy with me? And Paul's going to provide us an answer. And so really foundationally, before we can get into the nitty gritty of how do I go about pleasing God, a bigger question has to be answered. And that is, are you in Christ or are you in the flesh? And what's the answer is really you have to answer it. I can't answer it for you. But if you're in Christ, it means that you've realized that Christ died for your sins. He was buried and then he rose again. And you have placed your faith and your trust in him and his finished work on your account. And so if that sounds strange to you this evening, and you're sitting here going, I don't really understand what he's saying there. Talk to me after the service, and we'll talk a little bit more about it later on. But ultimately, you're going to live a very sad life if you go about trying to apply these things without having a firm knowledge that I am in Christ, that I have a relationship with Christ and I know that my sins are forgiven and that I have a home in heaven. And very much the same thing for a believer who says, I'm not going to submit to the Spirit. I'm going to go back to the Old Testament law code and I'm going to try and live a life that pleases God. You're going to end up very frustrated. You will not succeed. So too, if you're an unbeliever and you say, well, I'm going to live according to the Spirit, you're not going to succeed. So foundationally, we have to be assured of our own salvation before any of this is going to practically work out in our lives. So the big idea or the big question that we have to ask before we say, how does this practically play out? What does it look like in our lives is, are you in Christ? Do you know Christ? So then what is the big idea? The big idea is pursue Christ. In all our song, in two of our songs this morning, we talk, or this evening, we talked about uh, pursuing Christ, um, and seeking to know him, just like the deer or um, just that pursuit after Christ. So what does that look like? And Paul's going to answer that for us. And he begins in verse 5. So you have to choose your path. In verse 5, he presents us with the two different paths that are available for believers. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So what is he saying? Paul says that believers can set their minds on one of two ways of living. Either we can pursue the things of the Spirit, or you can pursue the things of the flesh. And so that's an interesting statement. Which one am I doing? How do I go about evaluating my life to say, I'm pursuing the things of the spirit, or I'm going about pursuing the things of the flesh. That's that's an important question. How do I how do I do that? And one of the things that we should ask ourselves, especially when we're examining um, just all areas of life, are what are my assumptions? So what am I assuming about the situation? 
What are my values? What am I valuing in this situation? What are my desires? What is it that I really want through this situation? And what's my purpose? So really examining your heart. So as I thought about my own life and what are the times where I have um, seen myself living according to and pursuing the things of the flesh, one of the things that comes to my mind is finances. There have been times in in my life where I have um, recalculated my net worth and how much my net worth will be in, you know, six months. Because, you know, if I work this many hours and I know that my paycheck will be this much um, and my wife works this many hours and I know that her paycheck will be this much. And roughly speaking, you can estimate that, you know, it'll be this much for expenses. That means there's a balance of this much. And I, I, I could recalculate that, you know, four or five times in a day. Now, what was my desire in those situations? I'm not saying don't plan, but I'm saying when you look at what I was doing in my heart, my goals, my desires, my aspirations were all chasing after a bigger dollar sign in the bank account, and it didn't glorify God. I was not living according to the Spirit. I was pursuing things of the flesh. Okay, But what does it look like then to pursue the things of the spirit. And that brings us into an interesting discussion of the primary means of sanctification. What do we need in our lives so that we grow, so that we become more like Christ? And there's a number of things that we need to have in our lives that we need to be incorporating into our regular rhythms, some of them daily, some of them at least on a weekly basis. And then some of them, God doesn't really tell us clearly how often, but they should be regular patterns in our life. So the Holy Spirit is ultimately the agent by which all these changes come. And so that's why Paul says, you're living according to the things of the Spirit. You're you're pursuing the things of the Spirit. And so turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. And Paul's going to talk there, and he's going to tell us that there are two different ways of living, very similar to what we've seen in Romans chapter 8 so far. And so he starts off in verse 16, and I say, th- and he's going to give us a command. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. A very similar concept to what we looked at last week. Not under the law, under the Spirit. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, against such there is no law. For those And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit, 
let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So Paul says, all of these things, without the Spirit in you and working through you, will not ultimately accomplish growth. You will not be sanctified. You will not become more holy. You will not become more like Christ. And so the Holy Spirit has to be inside us and working in us as we use these various means to grow and become more like Jesus. Another thing, and a primary means of how we grow, so the Holy Spirit is the agent. He's the one that works in us. Uh, much like if you're going to go buy a house, you go and you get a realtor. He's an agent to help you accomplish that. The Holy Spirit is the agent to help us live a life that honors and glorifies God. And one of the primary means of that is God's word. John 17, 17 tells us that very clearly. If you would turn with me there, we're going to turn a number of times at the beginning and then we'll slow down a little bit. So John 17, verse 17 says, this is in the midst of Jesus' prayer for his disciples. He says in his prayer to, Christ, in, to God, he says, sanctify them, the disciples, but by implication us as well, by your truth, God's truth. Your word is truth. Make them holy by your truth. Your word is truth. God's word is a primary means of how we grow and become more like Jesus. So it requires that we ask, are you reading God's word? Are you meditating on God's word? What does that look like in your life? Do you spend a minute reading God's word a day? Five minutes? Ten minutes? How much time are you devoting to God's word? If God's word is truth and God tells us through his word that you are sanctified, you are made holy, by truth, God's word is truth. If you want to be holy, you need to be in God's word. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to actually physically read God's word. I listen to podcasts. I told you that yesterday. I listened to uh, two different podcasts, and it plays about 25 minutes of Bible reading every day. I also read the Bible personally, but maybe you are really bad at reading, or maybe you have a job that allows you to drive a lot, you can listen to God's word and grow that way as well, okay? But there are like secondary means by which we grow as well. And so providence, God works through providence to help us to grow. Romans chapter 8, we're not quite there yet in um, Romans 8 as we're going through the book of Romans, but he's going to talk about um, God's control over all of life events is something that God uses to grow us. And he, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, those he also glorified. So if God does the one thing for you, it's guaranteed that he'll do the other thing. But that comes through all things. And sometimes the all things that we go through in life are not fun. Kind of like what we saw in Elijah's life yesterday. Or 
kind of like what, or this morning, not yesterday, or um, what we saw in the illustration that happened to Spurgeon. I mean, his wife was sick most of the time. She couldn't come to church. And what does Spurgeon say about that? He says about these trials that I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. God uses trials. And as we go through trials and we honor and we glorify him, God uses that to help us to go through different trials, more difficult trials. But God doesn't just stop there. Prayer also is another important means by which we grow and become more like Jesus. So Philippians chapter 4 through verses 6 through 7 talks about the importance of prayer. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So prayer is also another important way in which we grow. And not only the way I grow, but how much time do I spend in prayer? Did I spend two minutes praying yesterday? Today? How much time did I spend watching TV or television shows or movies? How much time did I spend on social media? I'm not saying that you have to spend the exact same amount of time in prayer as you spend on social media, but what are you putting your priorities on? Are you spending time devoting yourself to things that produce holiness, that produce sanctification in your life? Fellowship with the body of Christ. Paul talks also about the importance of us being together and fellowshipping. And so Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, tell us that we're supposed to be involved with one another in in each other's lives. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. As we see the day of Christ coming, we're supposed to be even more involved in this. And that doesn't just mean that um, your very presence should encourage us. Um, If you were the only person that came to church today, and uh, my wife stayed home with Anastasia because she was sick, um, how would you feel if I came and I preached and you were the only person and you sat right there? probably feel a little like you were kind of strange or weird you probably wouldn't like that you wouldn't be very encouraged however your presence even if you don't say much i'm saying not saying don't say much but even if you don't say much is an encouragement to other believers other people find this important there are other people that i can go to and find support in but other things like when i proclaim christ's work in my life through baptism that should be an encouragement to other believers because baptism isn't just something that we do that's hocus pocus and you know good baptists believe in immersion so we have to do this no it's a picture of them identifying with the death burial and resurrection of christ it's them proclaiming i'm going to be identified with jesus and so that should encourage us then finally obedience so later on in romans paul's going to bring out this idea that We're supposed to be involved in obedience, and we should be obeying Christ. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So these are secondary means by which we grow, we become more like Christ. But the really exciting thing about these secondary means especially is these means of sanctification also serve as tests or measures as well. So we look at God's providence and we said that God sends us through trials, much like Spurgeon went through, much like Elijah went through. And through those trials, we demonstrate and grow and become more like Christ. But we also see that when we go through those trials and we can look back at those trials and say, when I went through that last trial in my life, that last time I had a problem with my boss, the last time I had a problem with my spouse, the last time the water leaked and got on the carpet because something went wrong with my house, the way I responded was different from the way that I responded last time. And when you can look back and see the way I responded to the trial this time is different than the way I responded last time, it sure proves and shows that you're actually becoming more like Jesus. You're actually becoming more holy. You're growing. If you look back and you say, there's really no difference from when I got saved and now three years later when a similar trial happens, it should call into question, am I growing? And if I'm not growing, you're not pursuing the things of the Spirit. Same thing with prayer. If we can look at our lives and say, yes, my prayer life is more developed today than it was last year. It's more developed today than it was five years ago. I spend time praying for my own spiritual growth. I spend time praying for my family's spiritual growth. I spend time praying that people will come to a saving knowledge of Christ. I spend time praying for my local church, and I do so to a greater extent than I did six months ago. I do so to a greater extent than I did 20 years ago. That is a measure, that is a test of true sanctification. If you look back at your life and you say, you know, prayer has been a steady thing. The way I respond to God's providence in my life is a steady thing. There is no change. Believer, are you truly walking according to the Spirit? Are you sure that you are a believer? Same thing with obedience. Are we obeying? Are we involved in fellowship? Do you yearn for times where we get together? Or do you come in two minutes before and insist on the preacher being done at you know, five minutes till and then you're out the door at four minutes till? Do you enjoy the time that we have together? Do you demonstrate obedience in various areas of your life? They aren't just means by which I grow. They're measures by which I can look at these areas and say, am I growing in them? And if I, the answer is no, then you're probably not pursuing the things of the Spirit. You're not pursuing Christ like you're supposed to. And so as we look at that, we can say, yeah, I can look at my life and I see areas in my life where I am pursuing Christ. I am becoming more like Christ. I am walking according to the Spirit. 
Or we can say, you know what? There is no fruit in my life. Am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Paul doesn't stop there, though. He goes on in verse 6 of Romans chapter 8, and he says that there's a reward. Verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Paul says that there is a reward or penalty for each path. So if you are living according to the spirit, there's a reward. And if you're living according to the flesh, there's a penalty. And what he says is the penalty for living according to the flesh is you end up in the morgue. You die. That's a pretty bad penalty. I don't think I personally want that penalty. I'd much prefer to have the reward, which is that I will have life and peace. One commentary, commentator says, to allow the things of the world completely to dom dominate life is self-extinction. I like that quote. It's self-extinction. If I'm not pursuing means of sanctification, if those measures of sanctification are not present in my life and I don't correct, it's self-extinction. You're just driving right over the cliff. You can see it coming and you're not changing. And he's warning us. He's saying, do you want to die? Because this is a possible, very real penalty for failing to live like a believer is supposed to. But he goes on and he says, the contrast though, is for those who live according to the Spirit. They reap life and peace. But what, what is life and peace? I think primarily what he's saying is life, eternal life. Because sometimes people grow in sanctification and they die early lives. Spurgeon died before he turned 60. That's really early death, especially for today's standards. Not so much maybe 100 years ago, but today, if somebody dies under 60 and we're like, why did they die so early? But primarily he's pointing to, I think, eternal life, and he's saying, and in this life that we live right now, there's peace. Because you know that you're living a life that honors and glorifies God. So you can rejoice in what Christ has accomplished and in the fact that you are growing, that you're maturing, that you're showing fruit. But then he goes on in verses 7 through 8, and he says that reform is impossible. What does he mean? Verse 7 through 8. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Sometimes we, as believers, like to say, well, what if I clean up the world? What if I brought it inside, gave it a nice bath? Baby Anastasia, when she was born, she got um, frankincense and myrrh shampoo that was the color gold. My sisters bought that for us. It was pretty impressive. So get some nice shampoo, you know, some quality stuff, some quality body wash, and wash up the world and get it really clean with something that's, you know, 
high quality stuff. Put a new outfit on it, something really nice, something clean. Comb its hair, brush its teeth. Is it okay then? I just kind of clean up the world a little bit. And Paul says, no, no, it's not possible. The world is hostile to God. It's an enemy of God. It's very similar to the same idea that James communicates to us in James chapter 4, verse 4, where he says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? We can't just go and take the world and be like, well, I'll live according to the flesh and I'll just kind of try and clean up the things that the world does. No, there's supposed to be a complete forsaking and a complete turning to Christ. A believer living according to the flesh is unable to produce fruit that is pleasing to God. Ultimately, the end result of his friendship with the world provides no distinction between him and an unbeliever. An un a believer who is living according to the flesh isn't producing fruit, and so they are not pleasing God. When you look at the measures of sanctification, the means of sanctification in their life, there's no distinction between them and somebody in the world. And so Paul concludes with verse 8, and he turns back to the unbeliever. And he says, ultimately, you guys are the same. If you just live according to the flesh, there's no difference in the way you live and the way a believer lives, or an unbeliever lives. So he says about the unbeliever, he says, so then those who are in the flesh, that is an unbeliever, cannot please God. There's no distinction between the two. Believers must live according to the Spirit. So what does that mean for us? You may remember that I said last week that Romans 8 is supposed to be the great comfort ch chapter of the Bible. Romans 8 was written so that believers would be comforted in the trials that we go through. I mentioned some of the trials that we sometimes face, whether it be death or illness. And the trials go on and on. But how does Romans chapter 8 verses 5 through 8 encourage me? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for you? What comfort? God has a plan and a test for me to see if I am setting my mind on the things of the Spirit. There are clear things that we can look at and say, this is how I go about living a life that pleases God. As a believer, I am equipped with the agent. I don't need to go find a realtor. If I get called to be a pastor here, not right away, but eventually I'm probably going to find a realtor. And they're going to be my agent, and they'll help me hopefully work through the complex real estate market because I've never done that before. Okay, As a believer, you already have the agent of change. You already have the Holy Spirit. And you've been given a plan. The primary thing is the Word of God. And the other things are, as we discussed, God's providence in your life. Obedience fellowship with believers, prayer. Are you seeking to grow in those things? And can you look back and say, yeah, I am growing in those things. God has a plan. 
He didn't leave us without a plan. There's a means and a plan for us to grow. The question is, are we using it? What comfort? Peace is possible. I can be at peace with God. It's not like before I knew Christ where I was at enmity with him. There is the ability to have true, real peace with God. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I know that I'm pleasing God. And in that there is great peace. What comfort? Pursuing God is possible when I submit. It is possible for me to live a life that honors and glorifies God no matter what I've done. As we are driving home from meeting with uh, my father-in-law and mother-in-law um, today at a lunch, I was talking to my wife, and I'm like, one of the applications from this morning that I did not mention was God uses people even after immense sin. I mean, look at Elijah. Elijah completely says, God, forget it. I'm going into the wilderness to die. I'm not serving in Samaria anymore. And God comes to him and rebukes him three times and says, Elijah, go back and serve where I want you to serve. And so it doesn't matter what you've done. You still have the ability as a believer to please God. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you for the fact that you have provided us with the Holy Spirit to direct and to lead our lives. We pray that you would give us hearts that are willing and desirous of living for you. We pray that you would comfort our hearts with these words and help us to grow and to honor and to please you. And in your name we pray, amen.